I've got a, I've got a question which we're going to explore, and there's an opportunity for you guys to talk at, um, at the end back as a group and sort of think into it. Um, it's a it's a bit of a I don't know. Anyway, let's just dive in. The question is, in what like, in what way is the Bible authoritative for us for for Christians? Like, because this, this is something we're wrestling with. This is something that um, that you're wrestling with, Michelle. Um, what way is the Bible authoritative? Like when we read the Old Testament, like what does that mean for us? But then when we read, and, and you know, sometimes ah, oh, let's not worry about the Old Testament. Let's just worry about the New Testament. Then we read bits of the New Testament. We're like, well, uh, how do we how do we feel about that? Um, and so it's a good question to try and wrestle with. In what sense is the Bible authoritative for for our lives? Um, and I guess as we if we start, I'll, get, I'll do I'll do about maybe five to ten minutes of just kind of stating the problem, like exploring the problem, and then about five to ten minutes of some sort of, you know, what's some ways to deal with the problem. Um, I mean, why, why is the Bible authoritative? I guess the thing is that as we become Christian, when you become a Christian, right, you kind of in some way take on the scriptures as authoritative in your life. When you decide to follow Jesus as your king and your Lord, you kind of, the, the next logical thing is you've already learned stuff about him and you decide that Jesus is now going to be sort of in some sense in charge of your life. You're going to lay down some, your own life. You're going to lay down your own sort of desires and your own what you want and you're going to allow Jesus and what he wants to be in charge of your life. So really Jesus is the authority for your life. That, that's, the, that's probably the best way to think about it. But beyond that, like when we want to know what does that Jesus actually want us to do, then we have to go to the Bible and find out what the Bible says about what Jesus actually wants us um, to do with our lives. So, for example, you know, Matthew 28, 18 and 19, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So this idea of teaching um, teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has, has taught the first disciples. So basically that's, that's, the, that's the thing. We want to teach each other to obey what Jesus has said. So we need to kind of find out what Jesus has said by going to the Bible. That's, that's just an obvious way kind of in. Um, so we have these awkward um, relationship with the Old Testament and how do we kind of how do we deal with the Old Testament, particularly the stuff that's that's challenging, like war, like war stuff, taking like taking over Canaan and all the, all the sorts of things that are going on there. Um, so one of the interesting ways into it is to at least acknowledge that Je- Jesus seems to find the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. Jesus seems to find the scriptures like authoritative. Jesus seems to place himself under, in some sense, the authority of the scriptures. So, for example, um, we could check out um, Luke 27. That doesn't seem right. There's not a Luke 27, is there? Luke 20. 
Right, so Jesus is having this debate, debates as he does with the, with the religious leaders and there's one particular debate which comes up about the resurrection. So that's a pretty central, that's a pretty central thing. Um, the resurrection, is it a thing, is it not a thing? Because if you read through the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, the Torah, there is no mention of resurrection anywhere in the whole, the whole thing. So, you know, what, what's the deal with that? And you only start to find resurrection sort of later on when you look at Ezekiel. There's this kind of weird chapter about uh, um, armies being resurrected and it seems like, is this a vision of something which might happen in the future or, you know, it's just not, not, not at all clear what that's going on about. And then later on, um, yeah, there's sort of all sorts of, not, not much at all about the resurrection. And so Jesus is, um, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Sadducees and they say there's no resurrection. You guys are, you guys are talking about this resurrection thing? doesn't happen. And so what, it's interesting to look at how Jesus actually responds to them. Um, in verse 34 of Luke 20, um, <clears throat> Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. And some of the teachers of the law were like, yeah, awesome. But we're like, really? That's how you're going to argue for the resurrection? It just seems such an obscure way to argue for the resurrection. Uh, Moses refers to people being alive that, you know, what? That are dead but alive? God is the God of people who are alive? That seems a very tenuous argument. So what Jesus is doing is, is he's using... The Sadducees only saw the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. Uh, the first five, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They only took those as authoritative, not the prophets and, and the other stuff. So Jesus is actually using their books and, and basically showing how from their books you can at least make an argument for, for the resurrection. And I guess the point is that Jesus saw those books as authoritative himself. So all the stuff in... Um, Genesis that we find difficult or you know wherever Le- Leviticus the different places um, Joshua Jesus seems to find Jesus takes the, these these books as authoritative but it's not that simple because Jesus doesn't just like say it says it in the Old Testament therefore do it does he because he reinterprets heaps of the Old Testament um, for himself um, can you think of any examples where Jesus does that Jesus takes an Old Testament thing. Right, right, exactly. And so one of the classics is in the Sermon on the Mount where he's like, you know, um, it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, um, you know, if you are angry at a person, that's that's the the thing you need to watch out for. So in that sense, Jesus sort of intensifies the law. Um, And we we have a really interesting story in John 8, the woman caught in adultery, where um, the leaders bring this woman who's been caught in adultery before Jesus and they say, the law says that such a woman should be killed. So what are you going to do? 
And Jesus, and you know, probably know the story quite well, that Jesus basically says, um, you know, whoever is without sin, they can cast the first stone. But we know also, don't we, that Jesus is without sin, and so he could have cast the first stone, but he doesn't. And so Jesus is basically refusing to go, this is probably one of the bits that we find disturbing in the Old Testament, right? That people that act a certain way should be killed. That's just there. We just have to deal with it. It's in the text. But Jesus is doing something new where he refuses to actually follow what the law says. He refuses to do it. He doesn't do it. He does not condemn the woman and he, lets, he, lets her, he forgives her and he lets her go. There's something new happening in the person of Jesus. And I think this is, Michelle, what, you, what you're doing intuitively is clinging to there's something about Jesus which is very appealing um, and the texts that we don't understand, it's right to say I don't understand them and I'm not going to let that block me because there's something about Jesus um, that makes more sense than the things that I don't understand about the Old Testament. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection has disrupted in some very important way like the way that we relate to the Old Testament, um, Old Testament stuff. Um, but even new, there's even New Testament stuff like because we want because it's complicated, right? That's that's this is the first ten minutes is to say it's complicated. We want to kind of just simplify it down and just say, well, I'm just going to do what the Bible says. But the reality is, like we don't, we probably don't actually do that either. Even, like even the most conservative churches in Melbourne, there'd be very few that would require women to wear a head scarf, right? So even like in Eltham, we've got super, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make this too, uh, too specific. In Melbourne, we've got like people that want to say, I'm just going to follow the Bible. But no, but very few, if any, are, are, are saying women should be wearing head scarves, where even though it says that in um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's basically saying women need to be wearing head scarves. But we, but we make all sorts of um, cultural, we realise this is a cultural thing, so we kind of re, re, reinterpret it. And that's okay. That's good. We, we need to do that. We need to be involved in this reinterpreting um, thing. But it's complicated. It's not easy. So basically everything in, in some ways is up for grabs. We, we're, the challenge is what do, we, what do we even do? Like how, how, do, we, how do we move forward? Um, yeah, it's 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 difficult. So basically, I want to I want to look at um, just a, a, a an interesting model by um, N.T. Wright, of course, who who looks at um, in, in, he he suggests one particular model for thinking about in what sense can the Bible be authoritative for us, which I think is is super helpful. Um, and this is not at all some sort of consensus view, this, but I think this is one way of describing kind of what we do intuitively anyway. So maybe this will put words to what you already do with trying to wrestle with this question of how's the Bible authority for us. Bible is a five-act drama. I've talked about this a lot before. So I'm not going to kind of go over it in too much detail. But um, before, we, before we get there, um, actually we've put it up on the screen. So let's just go through it. So um, first, the first one is creation. If we think about the Bible as a five-act drama, we think about we can think about it in five acts. Creation, act number two might be the fall. Act number three could be the the story of Israel. Act number four could be the story of Jesus. And then act number five is this thing which 
goes on beyond that, um, which I've called new creation. But um, N.T. Wright, in his, when he's talking about this, he talks about Act 5 starting as the writings of the New Testament. That's kind of the beginning of Act 5. So he basically what he does is he says, imagine this. Imagine we find this Shakespeare, um, we find a Shakespeare play, which we've, which we've never known about before. If we find it, it's, it's in great condition, but there's part of that. Part of Act 5 is missing. It's all there. We know it belongs to Shakespeare. I mean, it's, the wor- it's his work, but there's part of Act 5 missing. But it's so awesome. What are we going to do? Let's, let's put it on as a play. Let's, let's put it on the stage and let's, let's do it. It's a Shakespeare play. Come on. Let's do this thing. Uh, but it's like, hey, but what are we going to do about this bit that's missing in Act 5? Okay, well, well let's give the script to um, a bunch of Shakespearean actors who know Shakespeare well, get them to kind of read the whole thing. They get a sense of what the characters are doing in the first four acts, the start of Act 5. But then that bit that's missing, let's get them to improvise. And kind of based on, it's not just like making it up, but it's based on everything that's gone before, Act 1, 2, 3 and 4, based on those acts, it makes sense for the characters to act out in a certain way through, through Act 5. And then, the, but the very final scene is in. It's it's there. So that so that's already done. We actually know how it ends. Right, so he uses this as an analogy to think about. This is a way for us to think about how the how the Bible maybe works. So we think about Israel. What was Israel doing? Israel was actually telling the story of the creation and the fall. This is what the nation of Israel were doing. Thinking about the prophets, right? The prophets are telling and retelling the stories of of creation and fall and sort of seeing themselves in that and, and understanding you know, exile and return from exile in, in light of this creation fall being put into the garden, being kicked out of the garden and sort of trying to get access back into the garden again. These were the stories that they were telling and retelling and understanding their own, um, their own reality in light of the stories of creation in particular and fall. And then if we go to Jesus, we look at, what, look at what Jesus did in the New Testament, the, the stories about Jesus. Jesus is telling and retelling the stories of creation fall, but mainly telling the story of Israel through parables and through um, the way he acted. Jesus was telling and retelling the story of Israel. For example, when Jesus tells the story of, when Jesus tells the parable of the um, the vineyard with the vineyard owners and, you know, the, the vineyard owners kill the servant that comes for the fruit. Jesus is retelling the story of Israel. This is what he's doing. And, and he's, he's retelling it in such a way that it points to him and his special role. So Jesus retell when, when Jesus goes into the temple and he turns the tables over, Jesus is retelling the story of Israel with him at the centre of it. There's something going on with the temple. There's a temple thing happening and this temple is now being corrupt and it's going to be destroyed. Jesus is telling and retelling the story of Israel with himself um, at the very centre of it. And then when the first Christians um, come along, the evangelists, you know, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, what story do they tell primarily? They tell the story of Jesus, right? They go around telling everyone about Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. This is how it makes sense in light of everything that's happened with Israel, creation, fall, that's, that, these are the stories they retell and they find themselves in that story. And they find themselves acting in certain ways that make sense in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, for example, Paul, right, he is this um, hardcore 
Jew who knows all the laws. He's, mem- he's got them all memorised. And he's super. Paul is the guy who um, was initially persecuting Christians and then becomes a Christian himself and then turns around. And so all these laws about you know who you eat with, you're not allowed to eat with non-Jews. The the law, all the laws about um, you know purity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, circumcision, all the laws. Paul starts to reinterpret these laws, doesn't he, in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so, so that's what's happening in the first century. They're they're reinterpreting and reunderstanding stuff in light of in light of the Jesus event, the death and resurrection um, of Jesus. Lots of stuff has changed. Um, so I guess there's a sense in which we need to kind of continue in that in that vein. I mean, there's there's probably less there there's there's less authority for us to kind of change stuff because we're not apostles in the first century sense. Um, but there's still a sense in which we're part of this ongoing movement which needs to interpret and reinterpret and apply the scriptures into our new context based on primarily the death and resurrection of Jesus. How do we understand all the old stuff now in light of Jesus dying, in some sense fulfilling the law, and that there's this new thing now happening um, in the world. So basically I'm suggesting that we think about ourselves as if we are in that fifth act. That scene, act five, scene one, is the New Testament writings and Paul and all those, you know, think about acts and all the stuff that's going on in acts. Um, that next next uh, click along, Raph. Um, it's the you are here one. There we go. Right, and so Act, Act, Act 5, Scene 1 is the, new, is the writing of the New Testament. And then Act 5, the very end, is, is written. It, Jesus is coming back. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. There's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more pain. We can read in, you, know, you can go to Romans 8. You can go to um, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of future believers, all this stuff. We know how it's, in some sense, how it's going to end. But we are... We need to be actors in 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 this sense of of faithfully living our lives in light of um, Act One, Two, Three, Four, and the start of Act Five. And we're going to, we're going to know how it ends, and we're going to kind of live our lives in such a way that makes sense of all of all that and, and on into the future. So that's a model that I've found um, I've found helpful and beyond helpful, sort of inspiring. Um, There's a verse in Philippians um, where where Paul says, it is God who who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God, God is actually in us, helping us and inspiring us, spurring us on to 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 do things, to act in the world according to what he's trying to do in the world. That, that's, the way, that's the way it is working. So I reckon, I reckon this is a good, a good model. So I'll hand it over to you guys and I'll just feel free to um, reflect back um, problems with that, things you think are helpful with that. Um, yeah, that's the it's time for a bit, a bit of um, conversation. There is kids at the back, so just, yeah, it's family time.
you might have to Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you yep. find the balance between this is my intuition based mm -hmm. on everything I know, yeah. but this is actually just what I want to believe. Right. How do I exactly how do I yeah. make sure those scales are in balance? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Yep. And I reckon Yeah. And obviously you're not looking for an answer, and there is no way to answer it, except to at least respond by saying that um, Jesus, Jesus actually, Jesus goes to a cross and is prepared to lay his life down and die, and he invites us into that same thing. So what I want, we yeah, we need to be very careful not to just interpret the Bible to say what I want, and to remind myself that actually I need to give up a lot of stuff. What's where's that coming from? That that phone, the office. The office. That's it's an, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. Go, Kate. I think um, the thing I find most helpful, like in that Shakespeare example, yep. where you're not just throwing your brand new actors right. to right. from home and away. Yep. <laughs> you're putting an experience, you're saying, yeah, we won't go too far, but yep. they know um, the themes, they know the kind of techniques. Right. But there's still a place for authority in terms of right. scholars. And right. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Absolutely. God actually wants us to be part of it, um, not even just to watch it, but to be the actors on the stage. Yeah. It's good. It's a bit then more. You, you shouldn't have like those Yannickies of the in the Old Testament because of the rigidity of the law. Mm. So when people broke the laws, whatever they were, they were really outcasts or seen as other. Mm. Now it's kind of a, it's kind of leniency. Mm. Very fallible in those that God experiences the spirit of 
Yeah, right. Good one. Absolutely. Um, and, and as we try and act, we, we need to acknowledge that. Yeah, our interpretations are fallible and some of us are getting it right and some of us are getting it wrong and that's just the way we have to deal. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Um, well, the question we started was, is with, in what way is the, is the Bible authoritative in our lives? And so this is one model of thinking about it. Um, yeah, and so my question is just for people to reflect back on how they feel about that, that model. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, if you're going to make a mistake in one direction, of possibly, um, yeah, um, being too lenient and loving, as opposed to being more like a Pharisee that's important that 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 really values following the law because that's important. Well, following the law, following Jesus properly is really important. Then, yeah, if you're going to make a mistake, maybe make a mistake on the love side. Yes, go, Annie, Anna. Right, right. So we know we're submitting ourselves to someone who has got our best interests at heart, not their own. But we are free to do our Right, right. Yeah, and yet Jesus has got some really hardcore teachings about, you know, purity and, and things like that. Like, like it's not just an e- he doesn't just put us on easy street. No. Which, yeah, so we've got to wrestle with all of that. Right, exactly, yeah. The Beatitudes are a great place to go and the, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. This is one thing I love about Jesus. He doesn't just—he doesn't just say, you know what, just kind of try and be a good person. I just try and like maybe follow half the laws. That'd be good if you did that, because that's the kind of thing I might say. Just you know, just follow. Half. Can you do half of the laws? Just have a go at that. But Jesus is like, no, this is the thing. This is like this superly difficult, impossible thing. Be holy as your hev- heavenly Father is holy. Do that. Yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. 